All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today. A few weeks ago, I was watching some footage from each of our campus's baptism services, and I was just reminded that we are one church meeting in six locations, except next week we're not. Next week, we're one church meeting in seven locations. That's because, yeah, go ahead. That's because next weekend at 9 and 11 on Sunday, we are opening our seventh campus at Wyzetta High School. And I got to tell you, I can hardly wait for this. For about three years or so, I have been praying that we could put an Eaglebrook campus in the west suburbs nearby where I grew up. And just during that time, God has given me a heart for people who maybe grew up like me, 18 years old, not really understanding what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ or the difference that that can make in a person's life. And so if you know someone, a family member, a friend who lives out in the west suburbs, this is the perfect week to invite them to church. Just let them know, hey, my, my church is launching a new campus, Wyzetta High School, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. We've actually had teams of people out there for the last three weeks, getting out there at 5 o'clock in the morning, setting everything up, running through the worship set, making sure all the technology works just perfectly so that we can make a great first impression. And everybody who goes out there says, you know, I know this is a school, but it really feels like an Eaglebrook campus to me. So it's going to be an amazing thing. Would you be praying this week that God would move in a powerful way next Sunday, Wyzetta High School, at 9 and 11? One more note before I leave this. Uh, if you are a person who's not planning on making Wyzetta your permanent campus, would you give it a couple weeks before you visit? When we launched our Anoka campus, we had so many curious Eaglebrookers come, and, which is great because they just love the mission and they wanted to see it. But we had so many people at the 11 o'clock service, we had folks driving into the parking lot, couldn't find a place to park, and so then they just had to leave. And we don't know how many of those people ended up making it back to our church. And so just give us a couple weeks to figure out how many seats we actually have available out there, and then you can go check it out uh, at a later time. All right, we are in the third and final week of a series called Heaven on Earth. Jesus, when he was talking to his followers, he said that when they pray, they should pray in part that God's kingdom could come to this earth. Look at what he says and how he teaches them to pray. He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he says, on earth, even as it is in heaven. Heaven on earth. What is heaven like? Well, first of all, Jesus rules and reigns in heaven. Heaven is a place where there's no sin, there's no brokenness. There's nobody who's spiritually lost in heaven. The Bible says that heaven is a place where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. It's a place of perfect joy and love where everyone is equally valued what if by God's power, we could bring a little bit of heaven to earth? That's what this series has been all about. In week one of this series, we baptized 862 people. That was 862 people who said, I once was spiritually lost, but now I've been found. And I want to publicly declare my relationship with Jesus Christ. Then last week, our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, challenged our whole church to volunteer collectively 100,000 hours of our time before the end of March to show the love and the light of Jesus Christ all throughout the Twin Cities area. 
This week, we have another God-sized goal for you. But before I get to that, I want to begin with a question. Have you ever had a time where you thought, if I had only known? A couple of years ago, I was speaking here at Eagle Brook, and I was talking about not comparing yourself to other people. And as a part of that, I did an illustration where I dressed up as a trendy hipster. Here's a picture of me dressed up as a trendy hipster. I kind of got into it a little bit. I was kind of working it a little bit. Next picture here, you can see I added some accessories. So you got like the hat, which I don't, you know, it's kind of Amish, but it's kind of cool. I don't know. So that's the trendy hipster look. If you missed church that weekend, you picked a great weekend to miss church. Okay, you didn't, you didn't necessarily need to see that live. But I want to direct your attention to my jeans. I could hardly breathe in those things. I was also having a hard time changing into them when it was time. And so before the 11 o'clock service, one of my colleagues said to me, hey, why don't you just wear your skinny jeans underneath your regular jeans? That way, when it comes time to change, all you got to do is take your other jeans off. I thought, that's brilliant. That'll shave 30 seconds off my changing time. So I spoke the entire 11 o'clock service with skinny jeans under my other jeans. I waddled over to the plasma. I took really deep breaths to try not to pass out. Finally, it was time for me to change. I went back. I put on my other shirt, my vest. I got my hat, my chain, my glasses. I came back out, told a bunch, but guess what I forgot to do? I forgot to take off my other jeans. So I came back around, made a couple jokes about how skinny and tight my jeans were, and nobody was laughing. Everybody was looking at me like, aren't those the same jeans you were speaking in before? Here's a picture of me at the 11 o'clock service. Total failure. If I had only known. If I had only known that I had forgotten to take my other jeans off. Now I'm guessing you have your own if I had only known stories. Maybe for you they would involve investments. You say, you know, if I'd only known that stock was going to go up like I did, I, I would have bought more shares of it if I had only known. But I'm guessing that most of us can't top the if I had only known story that Jesus shares in Matthew 25. We talked about this verse last week, but we wanted to come back to it again so that it could kind of sink into our church. The context is judgment day. And so Jesus divides the people up into two different groups. And he turns to the first group, and here's what he says. He says, then the king will say to the righteous, so he's speaking to the righteous group, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Now, at this point, this group is confused. They're like, I, I don't remember seeing you hungry or thirsty or sick, Jesus. Uh, what are you even talking about? And that's when Jesus delivers the punchline of the parable. He says, and the king will tell them, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He turns to the second group. And he says, when I was hungry, you refused to give me food. 
When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was sick, you didn't care for me. And now it's the second group's turn to be confused. They're, they're going, well, I don't remember seeing you hungry, thirsty, or sick. And Jesus turns to that second group. And he says, when you refuse to help the least of these, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Can I just tell you that that verse has always sent a shiver down my spine? Can you imagine being in that second group? And you're going, well, if I had only known. If I had only known that whatever I do for the least of these, I was actually doing that for Jesus. And then Jesus says, away into eternal punishment. It's the ultimate if I had only known moment. Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, it's like you were doing it for me. Now, how is that even possible? How is it possible that what you do for a person, it's like you're actually doing it for God? Well, I think the best analogy is a parent with their kids. See, I remember when I drove each of my four kids home from the hospital. I drove like I had nitroglycerin in the back seat. I mean, I just felt like whatever happens to that little life, it's going to happen to me. And that dynamic has never changed. That when someone hurts one of my kids, that hurts me. Conversely, when someone gives to one of my kids, when they encourage them or notice them, I feel like they've just given something to me. Jesus says it's like that. That whatever you do for one of my children, especially the least of these, the ones who are struggling the most, Jesus says it's like you are doing that to me. And notice the verb that Jesus uses here. It's do. It's did. Compassion is not what you feel. Compassion is what you do. Jesus did not say, well, whatever you felt for the least of these, it's, it's like you were feeling that about me. No, Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these, it's like you were doing it to me. And that's important. Because look what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3. John writes, dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other. He's like, you know, if you feel this, you say this. But he says, you know, don't just do that. He says, instead, let us show it by our actions. In other words, let's not just say it. Let's not just feel it. But let's do something about this. Which leads to the question, what should each of us do? See, I believe that every person here and every person watching online wants to do something to help people who are in need. I mean, I don't believe there's anyone here who if I came to you and said, hey, do you want to help people who you know, need help? That you go, mm, not really. Every single one of you would say, yes, I want to do something. But some of you would say, you know, my life is just so busy. I've got work. We've got homework. We've got house repairs and projects. We've got kids, activities, and events. And then I, you know, I want to hang out with my friends once in a while. I don't want to just ditch them. And I'd like to go on a date. My boyfriend, my girlfriend, my spouse, anybody. Some of you are like, I'll just date anybody I can get a date with, right? But, but you want to spend time with the people that you love. And then you say, you know, sometimes I just need to relax and watch a movie or my favorite TV show. And so when you hear someone say, do something for the least of these, some of us go, well, I, I'd like to, but my, I'm just so busy. Others of you would say, you know, I want to do something for the least of these, but, 
there's so many issues. There's so many needs. I just feel overwhelmed by it all. I mean, should you do something for orphans? Adopt or do foster care? Should you visit people in prison, nursing homes, or homeless shelters? Should you tutor kids? What about kids who have special needs? What about kids who come from single-parent families? When you do ministry, should it be to refugees, immigrants, or widows? Should you fight for the rights of the unborn, or should you fight against sex trafficking? I mean, there's just so many issues and needs out there, it can begin to feel overwhelming. To top it off, there will always be one person who is passionate about one of those issues that I just mentioned. And they will come to you and they will make dramatic statements like, well, if, if you're a Christian, then you have to do something about and fill in the blank of whatever issue they happen to be passionate about. They might not be passionate about all those issues, but the one that they are, they're going to make you feel what? They're going to make you feel guilty about that. And so many people look at the needs and the issues out there and they go, man, I just, I just feel guilty. I want to do something. I know I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. Here's what I believe. I believe that God has called, gifted, and equipped every single one of us here today to do something for the least of these. Here's how God has equipped you to do that. First of all, God gave so that we can give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Another translation says to be generous on every occasion. And then he says, And when we take your gifts to those who, are in, who need them, they will thank God. God has given to each of us so much. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you have a house and two cars and you went on a great vacation this last year, you ought to thank God for that. That is a gift from God. But here's the deal. God did not give only so that we can accumulate more and more stuff for ourselves. God gave so that we can give. Oftentimes, I think kids understand this better than adults do. For example, my six-year-old son, Jasper, he recently got a $5 gift card to Dairy Queen for his birthday from some family friends of ours. And a few days after he got this, he was at his school, and they were celebrating one of his friend's half-birthdays. Apparently, maybe he had a birthday in the summer or something like that. And so without being told or without being asked, Jasper went to his backpack got the $5 gift card to Dairy Queen, and he gave it to his friend. Now, when Jasper told me about this, I said, you did what? For his half birthday? I said, we're celebrating half, we're giving gifts for half birthdays? Like, what about a quarter birthday or a one-eighth birthday? I got a one-sixteenth birthday coming up. You, you could have given me the gift card. I said, do you even realize what you just did? You just gave up a blizzard at Dairy Queen. Butterfinger, cookie dough, cotton candy, thin mint Oreo with fudge. I said, do you even know what you just did? And he looked at me and he laughed, which was weird because he's just six years old. I wasn't expecting it. He looked at me and he said, Dad, when I told Mom what I had done, she said, oh, sweetie, I'm so proud of you. 
that's the sweetest thing ever. He said, then I told you, and you're like, do you have any idea what you just done? <laughs> so maybe kids understand this a little bit better than adults do. But here's my question. When you see an opportunity to give, do you see that as an opportunity? See, here's been my prayer for this series. My prayer has been that this series would have more than a three-week life cycle. And what I mean by that is my prayer has been that this series would begin to sink into the DNA of our church. This is just who we are. When we see somebody who's in need, we serve. When we see someone in need, we give. We are generous on every occasion. And not just those who have physical needs, but those who have relational or spiritual needs as well. Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these. And then he kind of defines who the least of these are. He says, well, it's the hungry and the thirsty. Those are physical needs. But then he says, it's the lonely. He says, I was a stranger and you never invited me into your house. Now, what is a stranger dealing with? Well, they don't know anybody. They feel alone. They're lonely. It's a relational kind of need. Then he says, I was naked. I was sick. But then he says, I was incarcerated. Now, what does someone who's incarcerated need the most? They need to know that they can be forgiven. They need to know that God is still with them and God still has a plan and a purpose for their life. They have spiritual needs. In other words, poverty is not just material in nature. There are some people who are living right now in relational poverty. They have great wealth, but they don't have love. They don't have loving relationships in their life and they are living in poverty. There are people who are living in spiritual poverty. They have a great life. It's really fun. It's a great life. But Jesus Christ is not a part of it. And one day that great life is going to end. And they are going to be separated from God for all of eternity. And right now they are living in a kind of spiritual poverty. Here's a truth that I hope you'll remember. It's a quote from Craig Rochelle. Those who are struggling are not projects to rescue, he says. They are people to love. That's so good because there's going to come a time when you and me are going to, we're going to be living in poverty, might be physical poverty, might be relational, might be spiritual, but we will need help from another person. And in that moment, you do not want to be their project. You want to be a person that they love. Let me ask you, who is it in your life right now that is broken and hurting? Can you think of somebody? Could be your parents. Could be a sibling, could be a coworker, or just someone that you encounter in life. You don't have to go to downtown Minneapolis or go across an ocean to do this. You just have to open your eyes to the needs that are all around you, and you need to recognize that God gave something to you so that you could give to them. Here's the second way that God has equipped every one of us. God saved so that we can serve. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. The Bible is crystal clear about this. You are saved by God's grace, which means you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God gave it to you as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. You are not saved by doing good works for the poor. 
Some people act like that. They, they act like, well, you know, God's going to love you more. He's going to approve of you more. The more that you do for, you know, the least of these. You are saved by grace through faith. But then look at what he says in the very next verse. He says, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God did not save you just so you could go to heaven one day. He saved you so that you can serve, which leads to the question, how are you going to serve? I've been asking that question since I was preparing for this series. And one of the things I've been praying about for the last couple of years is for my two oldest sons to have a place to serve. I love that they come to church. I love that they hear God's word being taught, but I also want them to take some action and to put their faith into action and have a ministry that helps other people. And so I've been praying this, and one day the CEO of Urban Ventures was touring our offices. Urban Ventures is an organization trying to eliminate poverty in Minneapolis, but they're doing it in a very unique way. They're creating jobs and businesses. They're doing education and mentoring for students. And they've also got an athletics branch. And so the CEO said to me, hey, you should bring your boys down and play basketball with the kids. Build relationships. See where it goes. I thought, that is an answer to my prayer. And that sounded so fun to me. I, I almost thought it wouldn't count. Because sometimes we think, you know, if I'm going to serve, it better be something I don't really enjoy doing. But that's not really it, is it? What do you enjoy? What are you good at? What are the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do? Some of you say, you know what? It's education. I want to help kids read, and so I'm going to tutor kids. Some of you might say, you know what? It's the homeless. I want to help somebody who's at the lowest point in their life and just help bring them back up. You could volunteer at the Union Gospel Mission. They're looking for volunteers right now. Some of you say, you know, I love to teach the Bible. I love to teach the Bible even just one-on-one -on -one with people. Maybe you could get involved at the Lionel Lakes Prison and begin to do that and help people in their spiritual needs. For some of you, it's kids. Kids pay the highest price. I was having lunch with the head of the board of an organization called mnadopt.org. That's their website, mnadopt.org. And he said, do you know there are over 1,500 kids in Minnesota alone whose parents have had their parental rights terminated. He said, have you seen the statistics? If those kids graduate out of that system and they're never adopted into a loving family or they never receive foster care from a loving family, the statistics say they are much more likely to be homeless, to be incarcerated, or to draw welfare. He said, one of the most powerful things you can do to change a person's life, to change a little bit part of this world, is to adopt or do foster care. Now, is every single one of us called to adopt or do foster care? No. But some of us are. And some of us are maybe not called to adopt or do foster care, but we're called to support those who are by bringing them meals or supporting them in some way. Would you pray and ask God this week, God, where have you called me to serve. You know, as I mentioned, for every week of this series, we've had a God-sized goal. And in week one, it was baptizing 862 people. Week two, 100,000 hours of service. We have a God-sized goal this week. And when I say this out loud, some of you are going to just go, 
Serious? But here's our God-sized goal this week. We want to give away a million dollars. We want to raise a million dollars this weekend, and we want to give every single penny of it away. We're not going to keep any of it for our own church. We are going to give all of it away outside the walls of our buildings to help people who are in need, both here locally in the Twin Cities and all throughout the world. You say, how in the world are we going to do that? Well, if every person who's here and every person who's watching online would give $50 or more, we would raise a million dollars to give away. Where is all this money going to go? Well, we have about 12 organizations that we have always been giving to. Whenever you tithe or have your normal giving to Eaglebrook Church, we give a percentage of that away to organizations like this. It's just what we do. We, we care for the poor. We want to care for the least of these. We're always doing this. But this weekend, we want to do something above and beyond our tithe, above and beyond your normal giving. And we want to give these organizations a special gift that will allow them to do something that they never would be able to do. Let me tell you about four of the biggest organizations that we want to give to. The first one is an organization called Orphan Network. Orphan Network exists to feed, clothe, give shelter, education, and Bible education to orphans living in the country of Nicaragua. The last time we did a challenge like this, we gave them $200,000. And they said, we know exactly how we're going to use this. There's a whole region that we have never been able to reach. And with this money, we can reach a whole region of orphans. They reached 1,000 orphans that they are still feeding, clothing, giving shelter to today. A whole new region. Of those 1,000 orphans, 800 of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. Because Orphan Network does everything through the church. The feeding station, the medical care, the education, it's all at the church. So these kids are like, wow, the church loves me. Jesus loves me. God loves me. Jesus is the hero. The church is the hero. They reach kids just like 14-year-old Winley. When the head of Orphan Network was walking through a, a village way in the remote parts one day, he found Winley sitting on his couch with his legs pointed out in the wrong direction. When Winley was just three years old, he fell out of his bunk bed. And his mom took him to the hospital, and the hospital said, oh, you know, he'll be fine, here's some pain meds. And what they didn't realize was that he had damaged an optic nerve in his brain. And it was the optic nerve that controlled the use of his limbs. For 11 years, he sat on that couch. Can you imagine being his mom? And every day, all the other kids run outside to play, and Winley sits on that couch with his legs sticking out to the side. Through Orphan Network, they were able to get Winley the medical care that he needs They've been able to repair his nerves, and today he is relearning how to walk and how to use his limbs. And I'll tell you something, when you look at the smile on his face and in his eyes, you can't buy that on Amazon.com. You can only give to something that is going to transform a human being's life. Orphan Network serves 20,000 orphans just like Winley every single day many of whom come to Orphan Network malnourished, living in poverty. They educate them, they help them come to Christ, and they give them job training so that they can break out of the cycle of poverty. We get to give to that. 
we want to give to an organization, a local organization called The Dwelling Place. The Dwelling Place is a shelter for women who are coming out of abusive relationships. Women just like Lydia. Several years ago, Lydia met a man on Tinder. And at first, it was a fairy tale. I mean, he, he treated her better than anybody had ever treated her before. But then she started noticing some controlling tendencies. And pretty soon, she couldn't go into another room if he didn't come with her. She couldn't go to the bathroom and have the door closed. Had to be open. This man was an alcoholic. He was addicted to pornography, and he began to physically abuse her whenever he was irritated, which was a lot. With police help, Lydia was able to get out of that relationship, and she found shelter at the dwelling place. And while she was there, somebody invited her to Eaglebrook Church. And the first weekend that she came, the topic was money. Ah! It's like someone comes to our church for the first time, and they're like, oh, this happens. But she said, I've never heard a church talk about money in such a relatable way. After the service, Lydia had $400 to her name. And she took $40 of that. And she said, God, I'm going to give to you first. I'm going to put you first in every single area of my life. And she said that was the beginning. Several weeks ago, we baptized Lydia at one of our campuses. And we've blurred out her face for obvious reasons, and her real name isn't Lydia. But when you see someone with their hands up in the air like that, you, you can't go to the store and get that. You can only give to something that's going to transform a human being's life. The dwelling place wants to buy another duplex so they can house even more women. And we want to help them buy that. We want to send some volunteers over there to help them fix it up and renovate it and make it just right. We get to give to that. We get to give to the Union Gospel Mission. Union Gospel Mission exists to give food and shelter and in clothing and education, all in a Christ-centered environment to people who are homeless or addicted. Men just like Eric. I watched a video of Eric recently, and he took a film crew out to the woods that he used to live in. And he talked about what it's like to be homeless in Minnesota in the winter. And at one point in the video, in a very unscripted way, he just sat down on a tree stump. And he was overcome with emotion. He actually turned to the camera. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And when he was finally able to get the words out, he turned. He said, it's just that I don't want to live here anymore. I never want to come back to this place. Today, Eric is married. He has a child on the way. And he's going back to school to get an education. And it all started when he walked through the doors of the Union Gospel Mission. We want to give to an organization called the Timothy Initiative. Timothy Initiative exists to reach unreached people groups. Jesus said to every single one of his followers, he said, go to the nations and make disciples. And the Greek word for nations here is ethne. It's where we get the word ethnic from. In other words, when Jesus said, go to all the nations, he wasn't just meaning political nations. Like, go to China, go to Canada, go to Nigeria, or something like that. He was talking about ethnic people groups. Groups that share the same customs and the same language. 
There are 16,000 groups like that that exist in the world today. And get this, 7,000 of them have never heard about Jesus Christ. Never even heard of him. Don't know about his love. Don't know about his forgiveness. Don't know about his grace. Timothy Initiative exists to change that. It's $300 to plant a church through the Timothy Initiative. Last year, we were able to plant over 100 churches. This year, we want to plant over 700 churches. Churches that will reach men like Jacob. Jacob is this man in the middle here. He was living in a village in Tanzania, and he was a witch doctor, which is about as dark and satanic as you can get. It's so dark and so satanic that the witch doctor society said to Jacob, if you want to enhance your powers, you need to sacrifice those closest to you. And so he took the life of his own cousin, mother, wife, and son. Jacob was very powerful. There's something very real about tapping into this dark satanic power that gave him powers that people had never seen before. Powers to predict things in the future, power to speak things into existence. But Jacob was living with guilt. So guilty over what he had done, he began to drink heavily to numb the pain. One night he was at the bar and he heard people talking that they were going to show a movie in his village that night. And so he went to check it out, and it was the Jesus film. One of the churches planted through the Timothy Initiative was showing this video. And when Jacob heard that Jesus Christ could forgive him of his sin, that Jesus Christ could give him grace and take away his guilt and his shame, he believed in Jesus Christ. And he burned his witch doctor books. He got rid of all of his amulets. His life began to change. And even though no one wanted to punish him when he had sacrificed the life of those closest to him, they wanted to, to kill him when he quit being a witch doctor. He actually had to flee and go live with his pastor. But he came back to his village years later. And he planted a church to reach people for Jesus Christ and to help them experience what it's like to have a relationship with him. One more story from the Timothy Initiative. This woman on the left is named Melila. I think I'm saying her name correctly. Her and her family were living in such poverty that she went to another country to find a job, but it was in a sweatshop. Hard manual labor. She developed arthritis and back pain. She couldn't even walk, and so she came back to her husband in Nepal. More broke, but with less hope. One day there was a knock at her door and it was a pastor from the Timothy Initiative and he came in and he said, can I, can I pray for you? And Mia said, well, why bother? Well, what's different about your gods than, than all the Hindu gods that I've been praying to and seeking blessing from and offering sacrifices up to? And the pastor explained who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross and how he offers every single person new life. And Maila believed. And she said, would you pray for me? And this pastor laid his hands on her and he prayed for her healing. And she was instantly healed. Wasn't like next week or next year. Sometimes God does this in places where people have never heard about Jesus Christ before. Some of us say, well, I've never seen a miracle like that. But sometimes in places where people have never heard about Christ, God will do these miracles to authenticate his message. 
And so Amila stood up and she was like, I'm healed. And her family was like, I, I, and they believed. And Maila was baptized by this pastor. And now her and her family have started a church in her house. And it is the first known church among the Baniya people group in Nepal. We get to give to that. You can't buy that at Walmart or Target. You can only give to it and see a person's life transformed. Here's how we're going to do this. If you want to participate, if you say, you know what, I want to do something. I want to be generous on every occasion. God gave to me so that I can give. $50 or more, here's how it works. Text the word heaven to 555-888. And you might want to just go ahead and take your phone out right now. If you're watching online, just go ahead, take your phone out right now. Text the word heaven to 555-888, and we will send you a link to sign up to give. If you're like me, I'm going to forget. So you do it quickly as you can. If you're interested in the lobby, we've got kiosks where you can give with a credit card or a debit card. There's also some blue envelopes and giving boxes. Put your cash or check in the envelope, drop it in the giving box, just write heaven on earth in the memo section, or you can give online for the next couple weeks. Eaglebrookchurch.com, you can find the link on there. We can do this. Eaglebrook will not keep any of this for ourselves. We will give all of it away to help those who are in need because we believe that God saved so that we can serve. We believe that God gave so that we can give. And here's what's going to happen when we give that money away. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, be generous on every occasion and when we take your gifts to those who need him, them, and we're going to do this, we're going to take the gifts to them, they will thank God. They will see that God's hand is behind this. Let's pray together at all of our campuses. Would you stand with me as we close? God, I thank you for everything that you've given to every single one of us here. We are so fortunate, God, that you have given us so much, and we just thank you for that, God. But right now, God, we declare that you did not just give so that we could only accumulate more and more for ourselves, but you gave so that we can give. And God, would you speak to every single person here this week, how much should I give? Where should I serve? Because there are people in this world, people who you love, people who you created, and they are struggling. They need help. They need love. And God, we can give that to them. This is the reason you created us, God. This is the reason that you created us to do good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. I pray that we would discover what our purpose is as we begin to serve, as we begin to give. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.